Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Going pretty good. Last week of August. Woohoo! <laughs> students are coming soon. Yippee! Uh, today's topic is going to be the major issues in the Israeli news, ma- mainly, actually, uh, security concerns. Uh, at mostly at the northern border and I and Iran's meddling throughout the Middle East. I, I will say that as we're getting closer and closer to the election, I have an anecdotal sense that nobody cares. <laughs> like, do you, do you sense this just, just general like, ugh, I just cannot pay attention to this new election? I do, I do indeed. But first, I think you forgot to mention that we're back in the studio. We're back at Ben Wallach's amazing studio. Well, I assume studio. that our listeners can hear the <laughs> incredible quality difference. First of all, yeah. it's great to see Ben it's, again. Yeah, of course. But it's so nice to be back in the, in yeah. the studio, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate the difference. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that the I, I keep calling it the election non-campaign. Yeah. Because it's like it's flat. I mean, nobody, I mean, I can just tell anecdotally for myself, <laughs> it's just like, who really can get excited for the exact same election again? Well, really? We, we more just or less. went through, you know, the major turmoil in April and now it's September's coming and we have to do yeah. it again. The parties have shifted names a bit, but essentially we're yeah. going to end up with a similar thing. When the biggest news is that Amir Parrot shaved off his mustache yeah, that's a little bit crazy. No, Amir yeah. Peretz is the longtime labor leader. He was uh, he was the head of the big he stood the Israeli Union for many many years, and then moved over into the into the Knesset, the parliament in the Labor Party. Yeah, classic and, Zionist cyber yeah. mustache. Old Zionist. I'm, he was. He, I'm that, not saying it's not big news. I'm just saying if that's yeah. the biggest election news. I mean, if that's the biggest election news, we're in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, and the anti-homosexual far-right religious party dropped out. No, yeah, um, yeah that's uh, one of the most poorly named parties in history. <laughs> but also just so unpleasant and so gross. It also was such a non-party, non-issue. So yeah, that it's that's not, a big story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the elections are really. I mean, I guess next week we'll really have to probably do a little bit more. I think it's going to pick up a bit. I guess. And then because of elections the following week, so my guess is it will pick up, especially as, you know, everybody comes off of vacation. Vacations are ending at the end of this week because in Israel, school starts September 1st, no matter what. Yeah. September 1st. It happens to be good this year because it's a Sunday. But if it's a Friday, September 1st. Yep. Doesn't matter. Well, it's funny. People don't get uh, – uh, people who are – and we, we did an episode this summer about how the Israeli school system works. People don't really get that it's one state. Israel. It's not like in America where, you know, well, some schools start in the middle of August and some in the middle of September. Yeah. In Israel, all schools start oh, the no. same day, basically. Right. And that's weird to English speakers in Israel. They're like, really? What do you mean? You Everybody knows the first day? Yeah. Yeah. And this year it falls on the first of Elul, the Hebrew month of Elul. So also yeshivas are starting. Yeah. I mean, everybody, the whole, you know, world, as America at least, goes on, has Labor Day weekend. As their last hurrah, I suppose, in some in the northeast anyway, in the south they've already started school. But Israel is, uh, you know, gearing up Sunday to 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 be back in the in the schwung of the of the year, and I think that that's going to affect obviously the election campaign for the last week and a half. But Did you say the schwung? Schwung, yeah. That's not a real word. It's not. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, Ben's saying it All is. All right, Ben's, get, Ben's calling it. Judge <laughs> yeah. Judge says it's a real word. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the chaos from Iran. And can you okay. just sort of briefly run us up to what recent events have been? 
Okay, so I I want to say I want to give a like a, a zoom out for a second mm-hmm. to understand that um, if we look at uh, Bibi Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister for now over a decade, mm-hmm. everything he does longest now the longest know, serving prime minister in the history yep, of Israel. He broke the record in the summer. Broke Ben Gurion. Um, and everything he does is is in the context of Iran. His entire everything really revolves around Iran. Um, and I don't think people understand that enough. Certainly not how outside central of that is to his yeah. strategic thinking. Yeah, that his his again, he's an his family's an old time revisionist. His his conception is for the most part is that Israel is a safe haven, is there to protect Jews. That is the main function, I would say that that as he sees it anyway. Well, um, I would argue that Israel has all sorts of challenges and problems. Right. None of them are existentially threatening the continued existence of the state right. of Israel, except for Iran creating a nuclear arsenal. Right, because that's and, the one and, thing left. Right, and therefore, and therefore, he sees that as the main goal of the state of Israel is to protect the Jewish people, and particularly, and, and the only way you can do that is in our homeland. And Iran is the major existential threat to and, that. In the emergency and, medical triage, that's the yeah. gaping wound. Everything else is cuts and scrapes that we'll deal with. You right. have to deal with them. Right, but first you got to close the gaping chest wound, and so therefore all of his policies, um, and I would even argue we talked about last week the whole Tlaib and Omar affairs are also within that context in terms of relationships with the United States and President Trump, what have you. That he his whole goal has always been to prevent Iran from becoming a nuclear state, as you said, uh, and gaining parity with Israel in in the Middle East militarily, which well, is a nuclear. Because they are the next biggest army, I think. Uh, I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe Egypt, but um, well, certainly e- Egypt tends to not uh, uh, foray outside of its borders. They're not; they don't have imperial design in their army. Yeah, and they're not allied. Whereas the Iran's West. all over the region, right. and 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 the and a non-nuclear Iran right. has been able to insinuate itself in really dangerous ways throughout the region. Right. It's building a sort of neo empire. And if that goes under a nuclear umbrella, they become supremely powerful. Right. And the only thing really holding them back aside from Israel is the entire Arab world, basically. <laughs> well, that's right. Certainly the well, not the entire Arab world, the but Sunni the Sunni Arab, Arab world. world. The Sunni Arab world, because of course in the north, Syria, Lebanon, uh, and uh, it's unclear to me. Turkey plays the yeah I don't get plays the game plays the game but so uh, so really it's really that why that's is this a, a current events issue and not just right. a general so why is it a current issue? events whereas it is it's always affecting the Netanyahu government mm-hmm. and his policies and it has to do with also I think domestic as well as foreign policy um, in Israel mm-hmm. uh, it has come to the fore in the last uh, in the last week it's it is the main issue in the front pages of Israel for the last week i believe or yeah i mean um, because uh last um i think it was over shabbat last shabbat uh israel killed and took out a number of iranian and hezbollah fighters who were planning a drone attack in israel now hezbollah is and, the militant yeah. terrorist force that grew in southern lebanon right that is built and funded by iran they're shia muslim arabs I think I mean think even more. I mean, yes, they're sort of Iran's militia in Lebanon. They're a branch and, of, the, of Iran. They are right, and yeah. in, and in, and in fighting, although they're not Persian, 
Right. And they're Arab. And in, in, but they in are fighting Shiite. ISIS, they are Shiite. They're Shiite Arabs. In, in, in fighting ISIS, they've spilled over into Syria. Yes. Well, so, they, right. Not only the spilled over into Syria, they were a very major active force supporting the Syrian government during the, throughout this civil war, um, which has many, many analysts have attributed that to the quiet on Israel's northern border in many ways. Um, but this drone attack killed two Hezbollah, um, Hezbollah fighters who were under Iran's uh, control. Now what was weird about this? Israel, Israel's been striking in Syria for years. We've talked about that in the past. Why was this strike in Syria? What was unique? This is a direct attack against uh, Iranian forces, um, as opposed to as opposed to convoys and military installations which I don't want to say passive, but things that are building up, this was Israel's claim is that this was a, an immediate threat of, a, of a, an immediate attack. Um, and I would, add, I would add to the uniqueness, one, that Israel claimed it immediately. Which right, usually, so that's the second one, but that's yeah, why. Israel kind of plays, why. you know, oh, we don't know. Maybe, no, but, that, but that's why they well, claimed neither it. Confirm nor deny. Because they were, fight, they were attacking something that was an in, 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 imminent attack. Uh, basically so announced. I mean, right. they announced it from Iran. Right. The other, the other thing I would say that is unique was this was a new strategic asset. In other words, still non-nuclear, but to create drones that would fly into Israel, hit targets, and explode. Right. So it's it's not missiles. It's a new type of uh, sort of programmable or or maneuverable, navigable artillery system that you can That's fly good. drones into Israeli airspace and hit Israeli targets with explosive power. Look, if we, if we go back to um, uh, Rosa Brooks, who mm-hmm. wrote, she wrote, wrote uh, you know, um, a book, name is escaping me now. Where war, How war where became everything, everything and everything became yeah, military or something. Exactly, where she talks about the drone strikes that America did in Afghanistan and in, in Iraq and throughout the past, I think even Pakistan, and how America, this is during the Obama administration, really changed the game on on drone attacks, basically mm-hmm. using drones uh, I, I mean, on is, foreign soil for covert and overt operations of blowing up things. Both for and surveillance a, and for... Yeah. And there she predicted this is going to spill over into the rest of the Middle East. And I think that this is a... Uh, a symbol of that, or not a symbol. This is a well. That's a classic Western uh, military uh, thing that yeah. you develop a new technology that changes war, and then mm-hmm. think you're dominant, and you are. But then mm-hmm. it's all cat and mouse. It's all yeah. building the better mousetrap. Now right. they're going to develop it, and you have to develop something else. So Israel right. figured out where it was, took it out, claimed responsibility, responsibility right yeah. away. Which we're not even going to get into the political accusations of oh, that why is Netanyahu right. doing it? like whatever. That's just it became, the political issues. I think to me less crucial. Um, Then there were drones that hit buildings in Beirut. Yeah. Uh, Drones that hit buildings in Beirut after the weekend. That nobody, I I still cannot put my finger on what that is. Israel did not claim it. And most analysts who are looking at it, you know, are saying it was not Israel. These are not Israeli drones. And they're like, I saw one writer who wrote this, (laughs) that it was more like a flying washing machine, the way that it uh, sounded. They were not like on the professional level that Israel uses drones. Um, uh, So, uh, but Hezbollah is using that 
as a claim that Israel attacked now in Lebanon. Yeah, Israel is starting directly, a war in Lebanon. And, and that has spilled over to the president and prime minister of Lebanon, who have basically claimed that it's an act of war, which is sort of setting the setting the stage for Hezbollah, making a leg, legally setting the stage for Hezbollah to respond. If this was an act of war in Israel, then Hezbollah can respond to Israel and retaliate. And that yeah. and so Israel's forces went on high alert since since the last, very the last couple of days. High very alert. serious alert. Um, uh, Benny Gantz, who's the head of the opposition, again, the elections, we're still having elections, but we do have a government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Benny Gantz, who is the head of the Blue and White Party, who is the head of the coalition, the, uh, the opposition, was uh, brought in for a military uh, briefing by Netanyahu's military secretary. And this is seen as very serious. In other words, the opposition is always updated. Once the prime minister briefs the opposition, that means we've reached a critical point where war could be imminent. Right. And of course, I think we have to go back to last year, December of 2018, and can't ignore that, when Israel did a major mission in the north uh, to get rid of uh, tunnels that Hezbollah, Hezbollah had dug underneath from Lebanon into Israel to use as uh, attack tunnels. Um, so that, that's all going back to that, that Israel got rid of attack tunnels, and now we don't know if there are more. They got rid of the ones that they discovered. Um, so I think that that you know, sort of puts us on this trajectory where the people, everybody's, Lebanon, at least coming from Lebanon, Hezbollah particularly, is rattling the sabers. Um, and they're saying, well, there's going to be a retaliation of getting nobody Unusually, knows when. and it's, and it's what, what's, look, Hezbollah is both a militia that was formed, Shia militia with Iranian funding and control to harass Israel. But they also have a political wing, which serves in the Lebanese parliament. They're a minority, but they're big enough that you have to pay attention to them. And currently the Lebanese government, which is not a very efficient or powerful government, it spilled over the 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 belligerent war talk is coming from the real leadership yeah so uh and that so that's what's uh and israel's actually trying to tone down mm-hmm. israel's actually i think to, in my you know it seems israel trying to tone down it's saying look you don't want this and it's going back and forth what so what's unclear to me and could be honest about this as a, as a as a teacher not a military analyst which really unclear to me is what this whole rhetoric is about um, like what? What are they? What is this bullet trying to get out of this? And is it is it pressure coming from Iran, or is, is it the other way, or is it? And how does it? Like what? what well, let's it, it, it's let's very take, confusing. Let's focus on Iran. What's yeah. uh, Iran is the instigator for all of this. Why? What's right. Iran's interest? Why does Iran even care about what's going on here? What? What is? It's so bizarre. They are very far away. Between Israel and Iran are. Jordan in the north, Syria, and Iraq. Like, we're really not neighbors in, right. in any meaningful sense. Right. Usually, Israel's military disputes in the, in the past, you know, Egypt, we made peace with Egypt. Jordan, we made peace with Jordan. Syria, okay, Syria's a waste, a mess. Okay. But Iran is still on Israel's back. Right. What, by, by the way, between the civil, before the Syrian civil war, there were serious talks about opening negotiations with Syria. Well, in the you know, 90s, yeah. sure. That even returning before, the right? Golan, yeah. Even even after, even mm-hmm. just before. So forth. But anyway, uh, so uh, Iran, so I think there's a couple of things we have to think about Iran. First of all, it is a theological state. In 1979, mm-hmm. it was, the, the government was overthrown by honest to goodness, really religious, <laughs> fundamentalist, Shiite, Persian 
Muslims. Right. And so they do see... It's a theocracy now. It's, yeah, it's a theocracy. And they do see this as Israel as Muslim lands. Mm-hmm. And I think that is not just like, you know, secular real politics. They really believe that, that this is Muslim it, lands. It becomes and, difficult when you talk realpolitik, yeah. when you're talking about real politics in the modern world. Yeah. We tend to say, well, let's put aside these sort of ideological issues and just talk about... You can't do that with Iran. Right. The people who run Iran honestly believe that this is a religious mission to remove the Zionist entity from the midst of... There's, they, they conceive the world as Dar al-Islam and Dar al-Harab. There's two parts of the world. One is the part of the world, world ruled by Islam, and everything else is the land of war where we have to conquer and rule. That's the mission they understand they have in the world. And it also, Dar al-Islam, eventually, in other words, first you have to conquer the world, and then there's going to be another battle for Dar al-Islam, who's in control. Because historically, over the last 1,400 years, different groups have asserted control over the Muslim world, which is bigger than the Arab world. And Iran sees itself as the future ruler of all Muslims. And the first thing you have to do is you have to clear out from the... Dar al-Islam, the biggest insult, the biggest, this Western intrusion, this crusader outpost. So, and on the other hand, right, so that's one hand, and on the other hand is the fact that Iran is a state and it's a state player. So states do, you know, have to operate within the real world. Um, And there is this whole, you know, American-Iran-Europe dynamic that has gone since uh, the president is uh, Trump um, backed out. I don't know what you call it, uh, backed out of the uh, the agreement with Iran in terms of keeping nuclear um, the JCOP. Yeah, uh, keeping nuclear um, development down to under weapons grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there's America has reinforced sanctions on Iran. Um, Europe is still in the agreement, but Iran has now said, okay, if the agreement's off. Has started to develop more nuclear um, uh, uh, weapons grade, uh, you know, nuclear materials. Yeah, and Iran just, um, Iran was just invi- the the foreign minister of Iran was just invited to the G seven by yeah. France to sort of maybe cool things a little between the U S. and Iran. And the and, pr- and President Trump has said, "I'll I'll talk with Iran." He you know, sounds uh, like very he's thrown yeah. out all these uh, olive branches, but I would say that Iran was true to brand. And they said, if President Trump comes and bows and apologizes for American behavior and for insulting the Islamic Republic of Iran, then we'll consider opening the possible diplomatic channels. In other words, all these political state, whether you agree or disagree or like or don't like President Trump's style of international diplomacy, the Iranians, I would argue, are still playing a different game. Yeah. He's offering them their economy is in bad shape because right. of the sanctions. Their currency is is they're, they're having all sorts of and they have a strong population base, which is largely not fundamentalist Islamic, who are unhappy. And a, a large number of young people, a large percent of the population, who don't like being ruled by a theocratic bunch of ayatollahs and mullahs. So so they have real problems. So it, it would be smart for Iran and for the Ayatollah to reach back to Trump, sort of like what Kim Jong-un is doing. Right. In other words, you would expect Iran to be behaving similarly to North Korea. They are not. Right. They are basically saying, look, you come to us and you kiss my foot because we're 
the leaders. And in the, we also know, we know that we're going to end up winning. Right. It's just a question of how long it takes us. How do we know? Because we believe in the prophecies that declare us the future winners. Right. And the, uh, and uh, and to bring it back into into our region is that we know that Hezbollah does not do anything um, without Iran's permission. So they would not be upping this rhetoric. They would not be pushing the the buttons, so to speak, without Iran's uh, Iran's permission. So I think stir, stirring up things on Israel's northern border is is also p- plays into their political uh, I, I, plays into their political I, I, I game. I think it is political, but I also do think it's apocalyptic. In no, other I, words, I, yeah, they're correct. not postponing taking over Dar al Islam. Right. Taking out Israel is the is the most important first step in in dist- in conquering Dar al Harab, the land of war and, and land of conquest, and turning it into Dar al Islam. The the Israel is at the center of Middle East and North Africa. It has to be taken over so that Dar al Islam is pure. But right. as long as they're fighting that fight, they're also going to increase their control of Dar al Islam and their suppression of the Arab world, of Shia control throughout Iraq, Syria. They they're they're working very hard to take over Yemen, fighting Saudi Arabia there. They have hands in Libya. There is a proxy war going on between the Persian Iranians and the Saudi Arabs. The Saudi Arabs do not want that to happen, right. both politically but also religiously. As however they're into Wahhabi Islam, right. they are Sunni Muslims, and they believe that Sunni Muslims will be the ones who take over Dar al-Islam right. and then rule the world. So they're operating, and, and by the way, the, the leaders of Saudi Arabia are also fundamentalist Muslims. They're right. just of a different branch. And so it, it, I agree with you that you can't turn this into a purely religious conversation, but I will say that if you are a Western person used to talking about strategy and military and understanding the world, you it, you cannot overstate how important the religious mindset of the players here and how they see themselves as part of an apocalyptic story and that they're, they're, they're needed to drive the end times into being. How else do you explain I, ISIS? I think it's on both sides, and I think you can't understand only in a theological sense. Right. You have to understand the real, uh, you know, the, the state, nation-state political sense. Yeah. And that's why I think it confuses people a lot when it comes down to the Temple Mount. Yeah. <laughs> because people say, oh, see, it's a religious war. Right. Well, it, it does have facets, uh, uh, facets of a religious war, but also has facets of a nation state. So it, it is true, right, that that um, the, the Iranians also talk about the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa, and, and freeing Al-Aqsa. But, right, so it has both of those elements of it mm-hmm. and, not, and not one or the other. I think we talk a lot, you know, uh, in the world they talk a lot about, you know, well, you can't see the world binary, right? Mm-hmm. In America, you see the world binary, Right. Mm-hmm. Oh well, the nation states and people act rationally in terms of nation states. No, because there's a different rationale coming here, the- theology. But and I think that that's where you do find people like Iran and even Hezbollah different from ISIS, because I think ISIS was never really a nation state, and they were they were really waging a total, absolute religious war, that, knowing that they yeah. would conquer the world yeah, and win, exactly. and they're they're in, and and they self destructed because right. they had they, they were basing themselves on Allah making them succeed. Right. They didn't need to think practically. Right. The Iranians are much cannier than that. They're much right. smarter than that. They have even in the government, I mean, the president, the foreign minister who went to the G7, they have people who are saying, but I am going to 
re-emphasize that they're using the yeah. political in the, in the in the go. I'll give you an example. And they're of in what the UN. I mean. By the way, they're in the UN. Of course. Yeah. 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 They yeah. play. They play the game in a way that ISIS did not. Mm-hmm. That I, I'll give you an example of what I mean. In the in the eighties, there was a huge war between Iraq and Iran. Uh, how, you know, in a, how many people died in that war? Oh my God! The numbers are staggering. Yeah. In the million, oh, yeah. I remember. There was one stage in the war where Iraq had mined the border so that Iranian mm-hmm. troops couldn't get it. Of course, you know what I'm going to do. Yeah. What am I going to talk about? The kids. They took the mostly men, young men out of high school, yeah. gave them keys. They said, these are the keys to heaven. We need those mines gone. And so they lined them up and had them walk across minefields and, and explode the anti-personnel mines so that the soldiers could get through. That, from a Western perspective, is very hard to wrap your head around. I think, <laughs> and, and, and it becomes it becomes important in a real politic way to understand things like, well, even if Iran had nuclear bombs, they wouldn't use them because of mutual assured would destruction. Do Who would, Who would that? do that? Well, Iran might. Yeah, yeah. Iran might. They're thinking differently. They are trying to ignite an a, a, a apocalypse war, but it, as you're pointing out, in a strategic, smart way, right. using understanding the world very well and how it works. And playing the long game. I mean, yep. Remember, this is a this is a belief that's been going on for you know fifteen hundred years, if you said, um, which I think we can relate to a little as you know being Jewish, having yeah. uh, long term beliefs, but and, not really as Westerners, and, right? Who was it? Was it? I forget. It was it was some previous premier in China who they said, you know, don't you think that the that the changes from the French Revolution really mi- should impact the world? And he said, I don't know, let's see. Like, we give it time. Let's <laughs> yeah. see how it plays out. Yeah. Like, he really thinks that the French Revolution is something that... And from a Chinese perspective, I understand that. Like, right. that's a pretty recent event, 1789. Right. Uh, so I don't know. You know, let's let it shake out. And and in the long view, that's a great question. The the uh, the, uh, the Middle East, it's not just the Iranians. Right. I mean, even Palestinians, we hear this from Palestinians all pa- the time. Palestinians say, yeah. I mean, we, you know, on a very individual level, we hear from Palestinian speakers in our classes and say, well, well, 50 years, 100 years will be the majority yeah. and we'll take over. So we're, we're willing to wait that game. It's a 150-year waiting yeah. game. What's the big yeah. deal? We've you waited, know, we've we've waited been for here things longer here. than that. Yeah. You know, we've been, we've been here thousands of years. So, and the truth is, we, as you said, as Jews, we can relate to that too. You know, right? Look, America. You know, America saw not, did not see nine eleven coming. It came out of nowhere. Right. Two. I mean, this isn't Iranian. This were Wahhabi right, right. Saudi Muslims. They saw nine eleven as, look, the Crusaders are. We the Crusades started. We conquered our Dar al Islam in the seventh and eighth centuries. That war hasn't ended. And the Crusaders have been at the advantage for decades now, and it's time for us to push back. The Crusades have never ended for them. Right. And so we have to push back. And that means, and, and America is a whole new front in the Crusades and the most potent enemy in the Crusades. But it's all of Europe, you know, and that's why you see, that's why you Pre- see. President Bush didn't help by calling a, a crusade. A, that I was probably, that. <laughs> a, but a, because as a Westerner, the word crusade right. is is a metaphor that doesn't mean anything historical. And, you know, so when he said a crusade against terrorism, right. it's just a metaphor. Whereas here in this part of the world, that's no metaphor. That's daily yeah. life. Yeah. It's part of how they self-explain why the most enlightened, powerful, you know, part of the world in the Middle Ages is now backwater and, you know, right. on their back foot. So, and, and the Iranians have this vision 
that the 1979 revolt where the Ayatollah Khomeini took over, now being led by his successor, the Ayatollah Khamenei, thanks guys, couldn't you find an Ayatollah with like a differently pronounced name? <laughs> like that's so not helpful. They're really inconsiderate of picking a guy with like such a similar name. But they really see that as the beginning of the end times that they're going to initiate. And as you're saying, they're canny, they're strategic and using all the tools of statehood to get to what they want. And I would see that if we go back to what we start with it, the BBC's the world, and you know, the, in the context of Iran, that that's his major motivating issue. He sees the same way. He's looking in the long game. He's looking at the strategic. So if you get these little bruises with Ilan, uh, I mean, with uh, Tlaib and Omar and Who all those cares? things, it doesn't matter. Gaza, okay, Gaza's not great, but they shoot 600 rockets into us. It doesn't do any damage, like literally, right. like really thinking in his mind, you know, in to the mind. To a certain you know, extent. That's not fair, of course, for people living in the South and exactly. are affected by that and their daily life and people who are growing up under PTSD and all the issues we know of the South. But when BB says we can handle that, we cannot handle a, an Iran with a nuclear weapon. I'll, I'll um, take your point and I'll make it even maybe worse. I think both sides use the Gaza conflict as messaging and planning for right. the conflict with Iran. In other words, Israel in two, it's five years since uh, Suketan, uh, the Israel invasion into Gaza to stop the rockets, that very heavy invasion. Part of Israel's strategy was we want to show Hezbollah what happens if you mess. Right. And, and, and Hamas is experimenting for Hezbollah on different types of attacks and different types of technologies and different types right. of testing the limits of the Iron Dome so that when Hezbollah is ready to go, right. they're ready to go. I... I I want, and we want us to remember that again, and we talk com comparing them as Hezbollah as a, a direct, really branch of the Iranian army. It is well, much better um, uh, armed um, than than Hamas. It is much more not effective a fighter. They're it's not an a army. militia. It's a part of an army. It's an army. And uh, you know, and we know they have over. I mean, the ranges between 100 and 150 thousand rockets, which are a lot of them are advanced, not like the homemade style that you find in Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist um, militia, among other terrorist militias right. in Gaza. Correct. So Hezbollah is an army, and the right. Iranian army is physically there, supporting them, arming them, training them. And and they've had uh, during the Syrian civil war, they've had uh, an, um, a real ground, uh, you know, training. You could say in real battle, and apparently their forces are much better than they were in 2006, the last time we faced off with Israel. Israel's strategy so. is mostly to keep their uh, Iranian real presence from forming so that Iran has a base to harass us right. from the north and, and sort of forestalling that war, the Mabam, the strategy to keep the next war from coming, although it's right. almost inevitable. And I will tell you this, if you don't understand Israeli elections and you find it confusing that Bibi keeps winning, if you want uh, Israelis go to sleep at night feeling better that they're, the leader of the country is obsessed with Iran. Right. And he's obsessed with Iran, and he, and I think that there is to say again. We criticize Bibi for this. We the the criminal cases, all those things. That he is not a premier who runs into battle. He takes you know he takes the cautious end when it comes to fighting. Even though in the in the West they like to talk about the hawk as a hawk, he is very cautious when it comes to battle. He's a status quo um, guy, and uh, so that so I think that makes Israelis also feel. Uh, feel confident that has to do with the growth of the economy and, and lots of other things that, um, as I well, said, Well, if you're generally domestic. happy with your status quo. Yeah. That's why he's the longest serving prime minister. Yeah. Now, the other parties argue you can still do those things and right. there's no uh, reason you can't make the economy better. You can't make housing more affordable. You can't, you can't solve the Palestinian 
you uh, you can't stop conflict. the Palestinian conflict. No, I'm saying they, you know, they're those you, who But you can do can. things to make it better. Yeah. No, they're those there who are those argue, argue that you, you can. can. Yeah. And but certainly I, before people They're not yeah. getting a lot of votes. They're not getting a lot of votes because they're not, right? Israelis don't believe them. Exactly. So... It, uh, Israelis are voting mostly in the center for basically keeping the status quo with improvements. Yeah. Yes. So do you think Bibi's doing a good enough job? Then you vote Bibi. If you don't, then you vote another center party, probably blue and white for the most part. Right. That's where most of the other votes go. That's B, that's Bibi's rival. You know, you'll... And by the way, we have to say, as we've always said, the South goes for Bibi, <laughs> even under that Gaza yeah. uh, tensions yeah. and, the, and the problems that they live under. Yeah, um, Mizrahi, a, Mizrahi immigrant community doesn't really doesn't really trust anything that leans left. In the, and even though Amir Peretz, who we said was the head of labor, who shaved off his mustache, is from Steyrot yeah. and is the guy behind the Iron Dome in yeah, Israel, yeah, stills you know. So uh, and uh, and just one more point I wanted to mention, maybe it's a little bit. I hope it's not lost now, is that uh, when you're talking about Hezbollah getting a stronghold, that's also been the fight in Syria to prevent yeah. Hezbollah from getting a stronghold on Israel's border in Syria, um, which would expand there from Lebanon to Syria, would expand it. So um, that has also been a major front for Israel in terms of, of, of stopping their expansion. Do you, To wrap up, do you believe that this uh, religious statecraft is going to succeed for Iran? And that they are the future? Well, I'll talk as a religious Jew <laughs> and religious statecraft. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't believe that in their eschatological, you know, vision of the, of how the end comes. Uh, so I can't, you know. That, I don't believe I don't in it that, as a religious person, uh, but I also don't believe it as a, you know, political science thinker. Or I, I just left don't that believe door it. open for you because I knew you were there. Yeah, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And I think that it's ultimately self-destructive and and it's just a question of when and so in the middle east like so many other things everything becomes a battle of will who's going to hold out the longest what and what i would who who blinks first as we say here in israel right but i would say i would say i I would sort of add on to that that um you know in 2000 in november of 2011 nobody really saw the arab spring coming nope. and the, and the changes that that's brought or what's happened to syria the, the assad seemed a nope. majorly stable country or in um, you know 1989 in early 1989 nobody saw you know the the berlin one coming wall coming down and the the total you know dismantlement of the uh, ussr Nope. So, we are terrible predicting the future, yeah. but I will tell you things this. happen quickly. Was I'm saying things develop and happen quickly, so you never history is moving much faster yeah. than it used to. Yeah. <laughs> and and I you know the only constant and consistent thing in the Middle East is change, and things will happen that will surprise us. Yeah. So I don't know what, what it will be. Uh, we're certainly betting who's going to blink first and who's going to come out on top. Yeah. So I you know I see all of these things are of concern and trepidation, but certainly not cause for panic or freak out or like we're navigating difficult waters still look how far we've come through even more difficult waters and as a religious person i guess i'll say we know with god's help but also with the help of smart careful israeli leadership this is what we're navigating today and that's how you get to understand bb yeah (laughs) right well even if uh, it's a difficult topic at least we sound better (laughs) Thanks to Ben exactly. and his amazing and being back at Wallach Studios, Ben Wallach Studios. So thanks so much, Ben. 
Uh, thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.